This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. Welcome to the Bartender Journey Podcast number 92. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for tuning in, checking us out, downloading. We appreciate it. My guest today is Warren Bobrow, and he is the author of Apothecary Cocktails and also his new book, Whiskey Cocktails. I met Warren at a restaurant trade show at the Javits Center in Manhattan recently, and I got a co- copy of his new book, the, the Whiskey Cocktail Book, and had a nice chat with Warren, and uh, he signed my book. Did I mention my obsession with cocktail books, uh, particularly signed cocktail books? Uh, but uh, this is a great new addition to my collection. And uh, while chatting with Warren that day uh, in Manhattan, I uh, asked if he'd like to come on to the show, and he said he would. So that's going to be the podcast today. You're going to hear that in just a few minutes. Before we get to that, I just want to tell you about the website, the Bartender Journey website. It's bartenderjourney.net. And there you can find the show notes, and you can find the previous podcasts, and you can find links to iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And uh, you can also find some cool stuff like my friend Chris Tunsdale's course, and it's called A Bar Above. And it's a great course for your continuing bartender education. And that's what this podcast is all about, continuing a constant and never-ending improvement. Chris's course is uh, just great for upping your bartender game. And his uh, videos are very informative, very um, methodical, would you say? It's very just very well laid out. And it's uh, it makes a very nice progression from one to the next. And uh, just check it out. You can also find a link to Flavar, which is a really fun way to taste great spirits. And they have tasting packs of some really awesome craft spirits. So uh, check that out, too, on bartenderjourney.net. Okay, here's my chat with Warren. Hey, Warren, it's Brian Weber. How are you? Brian, fantastic. How are you doing, sir? I am great. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, absolutely. I'm pleased to be here and very honored, actually. So well, there you go. Well, thank you. Well, it was so nice meeting you at the Javits Center that day, and I was so grateful to find somebody talking about cocktails because it was, it was kind of a uh, kind of a boring show, wasn't it? You know, I, I do it every year, and, and it's really nice to be to be included because I hopefully will add something that's a little more of a spark than looking at the uh, Aztecs and uh, force mates that the pastry people put together. Yeah. Uh, there was. I, I told people there was a lot of people selling, like, silverware and boring stuff, you know, so I was so glad yeah, to but, see. Yeah, but that's part of the, you know, it's part of our industry, of course, and, and being a trained chef, I, I have a lot of background in, in food service, and, I, and maybe not food service, but more white tablecloth, but, it, but still, I, I, I understand the industry, and you need a trade show that's as dry as that one, because, quite frankly, refrigerators are not sexy. <laughs> it's just so easy to get spoiled by going to Tales of the Cocktail and Manhattan Cocktail Classic that when you go to one of these well, things. But, but that's a different that's a different type of show entirely. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's like uh, that, that's like comparing uh, McDonald's to uh, you know some fabulous sushi bar in Japan. You know, you, you just they're two different things entirely. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. Well, it's uh, it was great to meet you, and we had a nice little conversation. I got, I'm so uh, excited. But this book, the whiskey cocktail books, is great. I've been reading it cover to cover, and it's uh, it's a great book. I'm really enjoying it. 
Yeah, but more importantly, have you been experimenting with anything? I have before? one right here. I uh, followed your recipe for a whiskey sour, which I have right in front of me right here. It's lovely. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Tell me what's in it. Uh, well, we used uh, some rye, of course. I used Rittenhouse rye, right. and right. Uh, the, I, I, as you recommended, I took the uh, the lemon peel and and um, wiped it around the inside of the uh, shaker before adding the wet egg white, which I was yes. curious curious to ask why why you did that. Because it's like a meringue. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's what you need to to make a meringue. You need to have a little bit of an acid. Right. Right. So you should shake so that, that. That goes back to my uh, my you know spending time at Hollers. Right. Well, yeah. Shake that up dry without ice, and then right. add the uh, add the rye and fresh lemon juice and some simple syrup. Came out very yep. nice. I bet it did. I bet it, you know. It, there's another thing you can do to that which uh, can make it really almost a I don't know almost a Middle Eastern bent to it. And you, oh. I'm losing you. Are you still there? Hello. I have a dead spot in my house. Uh oh. <laughs> I think we all have those. <laughs> I live on the top of a mountain, and there really are no cells up here, so it's right. uh, it, it's tricky. So I, I'm in one place now. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. Cool. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you you do have uh, a real culinary approach to making cocktails, don't you? Yeah, very much so. And and, and there's a lot of reasons why I do it that way. First off, it has a lot to do with the fact that I spent time in the restaurant business, and I always remember that the front of the house and the back of the house were their own silos. Right. So they were, instead of working together as a cohesive team, they were working against each other. Mm-hmm. That the front should never go to the back and the back should never go to the front. And great fights had have started by the front crossing into the back and vice versa. Yeah. So what I try to do is engage the back of the house to become part of the front of the house. Mm-hmm. So you work as a more of a cohesive team and time isn't wasted and money isn't spent haphazardly and it gets the kitchen involved with the bar and it gets the bar involved with the kitchen. Yeah, and it makes a for thing. a better work environment rather than an us and them approach. It becomes something more tangible and continues to go forward in a positive way and hopefully doesn't cost the owner any more money. Right, right. And it just, yeah, it just makes it so much more pleasant to be there when, when everybody exactly. gets along. And, and it gets the people in the back creating things that are used immediately. They have immediate recognition of their ingredients. Yeah. So even if it's something as simple as making a shrub, which is something I'm making right now at home mm-hmm. for New Year's Eve, and I start it, uh, it's a uh, blueberry and raspberry shrub, mm-hmm. and it'll be ready. It, it'll take, you know, the entire month of December, and it'll be ready right around the first of the year. Nice. And if I if I had a kitchen staff, I would empower the kitchen staff to take, or maybe the pastry staff, to take the berries that weren't quite saleable. They weren't moldy, but, but they were had gone soft. Mm-hmm. And then combine them with a demerara sugar or a muscovado sugar, and then hit it with a treatment of apple cider vinegar or tarragon vinegar or even balsamic vinegar to get to extract different flavors that I'm looking for behind the bar. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that later, but since you brought it up, uh, a shrub, can you just describe exactly what that is? A shrub is a... The shrubs go back to the Middle Ages, if not further, and it all had to do with the mindset of not having electricity, and therefore, if you didn't have electricity, you didn't have refrigeration. Mm -hmm. So things stayed uh, fresh for a very short period of time, Unless you gave them a treatment of low pH and high acidity, 
and that's where the great benefits of pickling comes in. Ah. And what a shrub really is, it's an acidulated beverage, and they're the original energy drinks, hmm. and they became in high esteem during the colonial era because when men would go out into the field to make hay, the the people who were their overseers would want to keep them making hay. They didn't want them to, to get tired. Yeah. So they would give them a drink called the Haymaker's Punch, which <laughs> was the precursor to the shrub, and that was essentially vinegar, water, and honey, <laughs> or vinegar, water, and, and molasses. And, and really what that was was the original energy drink because it kept people's electrolytes up and that therefore they continue to make hay while the sun shines that's where it comes from you know a haymaker's punch interesting uh at princeton university and harvard university you know the ivy league schools where they they had more money than time uh they would uh experiment with the haymaker's punch and they would add things like brandy or gin or champagne or a com- or madeira or a combination of all those ingredients into the punch and that's what we see today on cocktail you know menus from you know from time to time you see a haymaker's punch and it would have vinegar in it it would have sugar it probably wouldn't have fruit but it might no. have a combination of different liquors it's uh, in in a historic context it was the long island iced tea of its day <laughs> so can you share with us what, what you're going to uh, mix in your shrub on new year's eve uh, yes absolutely i'm going to be taking uh bar hill gin which is the uh, marvelous raw honey dis- and corn distilled gin from uh, Caledonia Spirits in Vermont. That sounds and amazing. I'm going to, <laughs> so it's absolutely delicious stuff. And mm-hmm. they, they have their own beehives, so they control mm-hmm. their entire you know supply chain. It's very, very well done. Wow. Uh, I'm going to be uh, taking a, a little portion of Muscovado sugar, which is the dark brown sugar, I'm going to moisten it in some Angostura, maybe Peixos, bitters, I haven't decided yet, but one of the two. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put a dollop of the uh, of the shrub, which is more like a, a fruit syrup at this point, into the glass, and then I'm going to top it with champagne and a, just a maybe a half ounce of gin. Mm. It's a little takeoff on the French 75. Yeah which is the, uh, the, you know, the cocktail with the champagne and the gin, the sugar cube. But this is, has the addition of the shrub. <laughs> a little more involved than the French 75. Well, yeah, yeah, a little more involved, a little more attention to detail. Um, you know, it, it's a very simple drink. It, all it takes is just a little bit of that the dark brown sugar. You're going to add a little bit of the shrub on top, top it with a tiny little bit of gin and finish it off with the champagne. Sounds I don't think great. there's anything complicated no. about that. No, no, no. It's not even a shaken drink. It's just a poured drink. Right, right. And do you have a name for that? I, lo- I love the names in your books. <laughs> uh, you know, I might call it the Salem Shrub. Mm. I think I'm going to call it the Salem Shrub. Right. Yeah. Well, I, like Salem, Massachusetts. Right. I, I, they had a little run-in with bad rye. <laughs> with bad rye? Yeah, bad rye. Bad rye seeds. Oh, okay. I don't, during I don't know the, uh, the, the, the Salem witch trials. Mm. Their rye bread went bad, mm-hmm. and it, it and it unleashed witches. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know my history that well, of, the, of Salem that well, but I look. Well, uh, <laughs> well, the, well. The historic context was the they ate rye that went bad, and the church going members of the community thought that they saw witches in their fellow uh, their fellow fellow neighbors, and they ended up burning them at the stake as witches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah. 
like I was saying, I love I love the names in your book, and uh, <laughs> the I really wanted. I was so disappointed to go to my uh, spice cabinet today and find that I didn't have any curry in there because I really wanted to make huh. the rye and cider. The mulcatani. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The mulcatani is a is actually, you know, if you've ever gone to an Indian restaurant, mulcatani soup okay. is the basis is one of the basis of Indian cooking, and it and it's Indian influenced by the English. Mm-hmm. So when the English went over and you know tried to extend the British Empire as far as it went, uh, one of the things that they enjoyed eating was the mulcatani soup, which is the apples and the curry and. Mm. It's a, it's, a, it's just a fabulous soup and very very warming, very healing, and I adapted that to the cocktail. Great. So that cocktail had you know had rye whiskey, it had a pinch of curry powder and, and a little bit of Angostura bitters. And absinthe, um, it had uh, a little wash of absinthe. Yeah, really, just a well put together cocktail. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to get some curry. I, curry bitters is uh, must be hard to come by. I haven't seen those around. Not but, really. <laughs> um, if you go up onto uh, onto the web. And mm-hmm. put in uh, bitter end bitters, bitter E N D bitters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're the ones who make the curry bitters. Okay. And they're fabulous. My friend Bill York is the owner of the company, and cool. he makes them all, but from scratch, with the best ingredients that you know, organic and ingredients that you can buy, and just good stuff. Cool. Yeah. Well, I thought I was. I had everything else except for the. <laughs> I, I just well, assumed essential. I had curry powder in my Yeah, you cabinet. need the curry. Yeah. You definitely need the curry and apples together or something that are just essential. And I love the way you uh, you have a lot of your recipes use grilled fruit, which is really fun. I love grilled fruit. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's also a culinary ingredient. Yeah. Because what you're doing is you're re- revealing the inner flavor of fruit because of caramelization. Yeah, yeah. Grilled oranges. I have to try that. That sounds so much yeah. fun. When I uh, taught up at Stonewall Kitchen in Maine this past summer... I taught mocktails, two classes on mocktails, mm-hmm. and uh, I did grilled grapefruit juice. Mm. And you you put uh, you know dark sugar on it and you know broil it or grill it over over a you know charcoal fire, and it gets all nice and caramelized. And then you squeeze that, and the juice that comes from that caramelization has this haunting depth. It's mm. beautiful stuff. Amazing, yeah. I, I think grapefruit doesn't get used enough in cocktails. You know, I, I once I, I once know. had a brown derby cocktail at the Flatiron Lounge, and it just—I'll never forget it. It was—it was amazing. <laughs> it yeah, was, the Flatiron Lounge is uh, was famous for doing things like that. Those, it, you know, those classics of whiskey dumb. Yeah, yeah. So, how, how did you come to have the uh, employees only logo, logo uh, tattooed on your arm? <laughs> Uh, there, I wrote an article about, uh, Steven, about Steve, you know, the head Mm -hmm. bartender there Mm -hmm. for, uh, I believe for Foodista and, you know, I've always embraced his ethos of, of, uh, everything from scratch, all fresh juices, everything made in house, you know, as little as possible purchased. And, uh, I embraced that ethos. And when I was down at Tales of the Cocktail, I think it was two years ago. I saw them giving out, they, they had taken over, employees only took over One-Eyed Jacks, mm-hmm. which is a uh, famous burlesque bar, hmm. and they'd taken it over for the evening, and they were giving out employees only tattoos, and I, incidentally, at that point, I did not get an employees only tattoo that night, but it was about two years later that I actually did buy the person who was giving them out that night a downtown tattoo. Yeah. in New Orleans, and they've done all the, all the work that I've had done. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're really great. They do great work. Yeah. So they, they recreated it, you know, 
two years or so later, but it did put, put it in my head that perhaps this is something I should do. Because last night I was in New York City at an event and I, my car was parked just around the corner from employees only. So I stopped in and of course they're jam packed and there's a line out front and I went up to the front of the line and the, the guy at the door said, uh, can I help you? And I pulled back my sleeve and it has my employees only tattoo on, on my forearm and they let me write it. That's it. I'm getting one too. <laughs> it's, it's an immediate get, get into the restaurant free card. That's, <laughs> that's my favorite bar in Manhattan. I tell you, it's just such a, yeah, they do a really nice job there. I, you know, they, uh, they, they're consistently a show place. It yeah. really is a show place. Yeah, yeah. Just the whole, I mean, just the whole vibe of the place, you know, never mind the cocktails. It just, uh, you know, I, I've well, told this story I've told this story on, on the show several times. But, you know, the first time I went in there, I, I was just made to feel so welcome, you know, and, and yeah. even though I'd never been there before, it was, it was great, uh-huh. great experience. Uh-huh. And and I, I love the fortune teller when you walk in the front door because you feel as if you're you're going in to get your fortune told, not necessarily to uh, to to eat dinner or to drink. Right, right. I, uh, something else I wanted to talk about was hand cut ice. You talk about that in your book quite a lot, and I yeah, I, uh, I well, the the first part of it, the hand cut ice is cleaning out the festering garlic pasta mm. in your refrigerator. Yeah, that's, so you got to do that first. Yeah. That's you know, you really once a month you should do your refrigerator over with uh, vinegar and water. Mm-hmm. Give it a good scrubbing. It's amazing what lives in there that makes your ice smell like. The garlic and pasta, you know, garlic pasta. Yeah. Um, anything that you introduce into the refrigerator is going to taint your ice, no matter what you do, unless you, you know, make your ice in a tray or a bo- you know, a Tupperware container of some sort, or some of those, you know, large ice cube trays that that you can get. Mm-hmm. And then I wrap them in plastic bags mm-hmm. so they don't pick up the flavors that are swooping around the uh, the refrigerator that make their way into the freezer. Oh, good. But uh, I, I love the hand-cut ice because, primarily, because it the, the dilution rate is very slow. Right. And when I'm, you know, spending money, well, it's been a long time since I've bought any liquor, but, but you understand. <laughs> I mean, I'm potentially saying that the liquor comes to my door every day, so I don't have to go to the store and buy it. <laughs> However, uh, you know, I don't want to dilute that, that product because it does have a certain cost to someone, and I don't want to, uh, you know, sure. destroy it by, by serving quarter cube ice in my drink. Yeah. I don't always have great ice made in my freezer, so I try to create things that don't require, you know, an ice cube melting away in it. Yeah. But there's a, uh, there, you know, most of the bars in this area that I live in, Morristown, New Jersey, just don't get it on ice. They, you know, no. you go into a place and you order a top-shelf drink, and they pack the glass with quarter-cube ice. Yep. And you can just tell that they're taking advantage of the customer from, from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, that's I, what it is. They'll, you know, they'll put a, they'll, they'll jig or measure the, the shot, and it'll be, you know, three-quarters of an ounce, and when it's quarter-cube ice, it fills right up to the top. You say, oh, they pour a great shot there. And yeah. Stuff. And any idiot who has ever used a jigger can, can look at that and say, but wait a minute, they only poured three-quarters of an ounce in the glass packed with ice. Yeah, I know. You know that just doesn't work for me. I, I think it's taking advantage of the consumer. Yeah, yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. But, if it, but if you have a nice square, you know, a, a lot of the uh, – bars in manhattan i'll use a, a nice square ice cube yeah, and but, you put two of those have, into an old-fashioned glass and, it, and it, you know it still takes up enough you know it still yeah, looks course, like a generous shot it does but it doesn't dilute yeah you're not drinking a shot of water yeah exactly exactly that's the difference i'm not saying that i disagree with the 
with, with their pores. Yeah. What I'm saying is I don't want to be drinking water because yeah. of the dilution rate is so rapid with the with a quarter cube that rather than a nice thick piece of cold draft ice. Oh, absolutely. You know, I was at I was at a bar called The Happiest Hour last night and they're a brand new fabulous place. There's a great event. It was fetting uh, myself and five other authors who write about spirits by, you know, the the queen of, of New York PR, Hannah Lee. I mean, she's fabulous. She does the PR for a Manhattan cocktail classic and mm-hmm. a number of, you know, really interesting brands. And she asked me to go. And, you know, what can I say? <laughs> no, I'm not going to go. I mean, yeah. <laughs> please. So, uh, so we, we had it at the happiest hour and they have a cold draft machine that makes the perfect one inch cubes. They're one inch by one inch. They're perfectly crystal clear. They're just gorgeous to look at. They mix all their drinks with it. Yeah. They don't, you know, they don't mix their drinks with, uh, with, with the, with the regular bar ice that has dilution. They do their shaken drinks with the, uh, you know, with the cold draft ice. Yeah. And it's really impressive. I think you get a much better result out of it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can't stand it when I go to a, uh, when I go somewhere and, uh, well, I like my wife gets mad because I test, you know, I test the bartenders, you know, I, I I just say I want a Manhattan or I want a Negroni, yeah, you know? yeah. and she's right, like, right. just just tell them you want it stirred, not shaken, you know, just tell them. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I don't. Well, that's that's like going into a restaurant and asking for a Ramos Jim Fizz. Oh, that's that's a tough one. <laughs> well, I I do it. Yeah, I do it when I when I get lousy service in a place and, and there's obvious pushback by the bar. Yeah. I'll order a Ramos Gin Fizz. And I don't mean to because I don't want to hurt them. Yeah. I do it because it's like they know that they're that they they didn't get to me. Yeah. And they've got and they better figure it out right quick. And if they can't do it, just tell me they can't do it. Don't try to flub it. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's not the kind of drink you need to flub. Yeah. But even a, even a drink that's supposed to be shaken when it comes, you know, with little ice shards in it, I, I can't stand that, you know. And that's from uh, the, that's from well, that terrible like ice. That, though. Do they? Yeah, some people like that. I mean, when you get the when like when you go to a restaurant and they make a martini in in a little tiny uh, you know little tiny shaker and it yeah. comes out and it's got that little frosted edge on the top. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of dig that. I like mm-hmm. that. Okay. You know, it, it kind of mellows the the gin. Which, by the way, when I I was talking to someone last night, they the the drinks at the event were all pre planned, but mm-hmm. he was drinking a uh, a martini and I and I said. Uh, I said to him, how did you get that martini? And he said, because I asked them to make me one, and, and they did, but they did it begrudgingly. And I said, okay, what is a martini? He said, gin, always gin. I said, you, you, you gain my respect, <laughs> because it is gin, always gin. Otherwise, it's just chilled vodka. Yep, absolutely. I agree. Well, yeah, I, I need to get around to uh, making making big blocks of ice. Well, I guess I need to, first of all, clean the refrigerator, like you said. That's that's the tough that's the tough part. Well, that that actually, you know, it has an immediate reward because you'll. And then the other thing you can do is you take a couple boxes of baking soda and you put one of them in the freezer and one of them in the refrigerator and and change them after a month. You know, you can do that. Right. That's yeah. uh, that's something that that you can do and it really does suck the uh, the flavors that are that make your ice lousy. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. My mom used to there. always have a box of baking soda in the refrigerator. Always, of course. And then you put it down the drain. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. With 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 vinegar. Right. With vinegar and baking soda. You will never buy drain cleaner again. Yeah, that's great. I'm telling you, it's it's like science class. Mm-hmm. It foams. It bubbles. It cleans. It does everything. And I mean, we. It seems like I have a like a, a, a clog a week here, 
and then you put the uh, the baking soda and, and the vinegar down, and it goes right down. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that's one of those old-fashioned cures, sort of like, uh, well, let's talk about your other book, Apothecary Cocktails. And that's, exactly. Yeah. Yes, it would be something. And, you know, Apothecary has, has sold about 10,000 copies in, in just, just over a year. Great. And so it astounded me through the fact that no one has ever written a book like it, and no one has written a book like it since then. And it, on, you know, I, I try not to put too much focus on and attention on Amazon, but they did me a really good turn because what they, what Amazon offers me is a metric that I can track the sales by how it appears against other books of its genre. Mm. And it happens to be listed up on under homeopathy on Amazon. Oh, wow. and it consistently shows between one and five, the top book and the fifth top book of all the books on Amazon on homeopathy is apothecary cocktails. Cool. <laughs> I mean, it's like, and it, and it doesn't confuse me at all. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm well aware of, of how important that is Yeah. because when I was doing my research, I did all the research on homeopathic cures and I added the alcohol in as an added benefit. Uh-huh. So, so, how did you research that? Tongue in cheek. Did you have, did you have that? To, how did you research that? Did you have to go back and dig it through really old books and pamphlets? And uh, the the web is ama- an yeah. amazing resource. Yeah, and I I did all my research on the web, and I was looking for I had a list of of, diff, of like seventy five different maladies that mm-hmm. are common to to you know Americans mm-hmm. or or whatever just just common to people. And you know, like sleeplessness, or a lack of uh, lack of appetite, or you know, or a headache, or a fever, or whatever. And then I looked at all the different cures from a homeopathic standpoint for those maladies, and then I added in the alcohol afterwards, saying that you know, this is the alcohol would be added primarily because of the fact that there was no refrigeration. So, what would you use for a preservative? They didn't have glycerin, so mm-hmm. they were using alcohol as a preservative. Mm-hmm. And why not go one step further and get creative and say, okay, this one takes gin, this one takes rye, this one takes tequila, this one takes mezcal, mm-hmm. and so on. Mm-hmm. And that's and it's such, such, such a fun book yeah. because all the recipes test, and they taste really good, and have a, a, a health benefit. I won't say they, they have cures because, you know, I mean, I, I, we yeah. put a, a, a disclaimer in the book <laughs> yeah. that said, you know, don't take on any new health regimens without you know, consulting your doctor first, which is kind of like saying uh, this drug is not meant to heal or cure any known ailment. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, can't, you can't say that you know, it, it, your headache is going to go away, but you could say that in past years it was effective on headaches. <laughs> Power of suggestion, a lot of this stuff, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. And, and then uh, it goes back to... You know, I, I really didn't tell you or very many people about this, but occasionally I come out with it. My grandfather was in the pharmaceutical business, and he was my greatest influence. Uh-huh. And I'm sorry that he wasn't living when, uh, you know, he's been gone for 30 years. But I, I wish that, that he was around to see to see this because he was in the consumer pharmaceutical business. And his most famous product was a product that was in every single, probably in every single medicine chest in America, if not around the world for the fact that it was sold as a vitamin tonic and they also sold it as something for what they called iron poor blood. Mm-hmm. So 
in the end result, no one has iron poor blood, and all that the product really was was ethyl alcohol with flavorings. <laughs> but the name of the product and the fact that it was sponsored, that he sponsored the Lawrence Welk show and the Jack Parr show and the 21 show and all these great TV shows made it something that, that everyone had to have because they saw it on television, so they knew they had to buy it. And the product's name was Geritol. <laughs> So, you know, so this is what I grew up with. And my, uh, my dad was the head of the tax division, and, you know, my mom, it was my mom's father. So, you know, you, you see the, the problem there. <laughs> but when I was growing up, they used to bring me home uh, Jartol Jr., uh-huh. which is, uh, you know, 25% alcohol by volume, 50 <laughs> proof. And uh, that's really about it. <laughs> so they, well, they believed in the product, huh? They gave it to their kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, they certainly did. I mean, it was a vitamin tonic. There were no vitamins in it, but <laughs> uh, yeah. When when was that? Is that still available? Or I mean, uh, uh, I remember Geritol. Product, no, <laughs> the uh, the senior, you know, the regular Geritol is, but I, I don't know who makes it now. And you know, when my grandfather passed away. They sold off the the, the products to different people, and wow. that was it. Wow, that's a great yeah. story. Great story. Yeah, <laughs> and it's authentic. That's the funny thing about it. You know, I there's 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 so much more to it. I mean, there was like. Uh, he made Aqua Velva, so they had Aqua Velva shave cream. Really? And when, so like Mischief Night, I would fill all the neighbors, you know, I lived on a farm and there weren't too many neighbors around. Everyone knew who he was. So when I filled up people's mailboxes with shave cream, it was Aqua Velva shave cream. So the police knew where to come. <laughs> <laughs> That's hysterical. They would smell it and know right where to find the culprit. No, they saw the cans. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it had a very distinctive smell, though. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm the black sheep. <laughs> That's great. And then in later years, you know, they, they were heavy, heavy collectors of French wine and first mm. and second growths from the 40s on. Mm. Well, you know, I plundered the cellar. <laughs> they yeah, never forgave me for that. <laughs> never. I mean, that's to this day, to 53 years later, I, I look back and I think, eh, maybe I shouldn't have drunk all that, all that Mouton. <laughs> <laughs> Wish you had it now to enjoy, right? Rather than, uh, no, nah, you know, it taught me what I know today. And that's mm-hmm. why so many of my peers in the, in the wine business, especially are book smart, but they've never tasted the great wines. And I can mm. say that I did it at 18. Mm. Probably shouldn't have, but yeah. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you 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 had quite a uh, quite a journey from starting in restaurants and then changing gears for a while and then getting back into actually right? actually there's a whole there's a whole another chapter before that I worked in television and motion pictures really I'm yeah. an I'm an engineer yeah in, in what capacity uh, I graduated from Emerson with a degree in television and film communications I worked as an engineer at WNET Channel 13 in New oh, York cool. and also at WPIX. I was an ENG cameraman. I did hard news. Uh, I've seen my share of things that uh, that you should not see, <laughs> and uh, you know, and that that kind of thing. And I was working the overnight shift, eleven to seven, and my lunch break used to be from two a.m. to four a.m. So I, from that period of time, I went to work at Danceteria. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah. So for several years, I was, uh, you know, so it was like during college and then after college for a year. Ooh, where was that Danceteria? I'm trying to remember. Danceteria was 30 West 21st. Okay. Between 5th and 6th. Uh-huh. Cool. So, uh, yeah, so I, so I did that and, you know, pretty much uh, decided that the overnight shift and the nightlife was not for me. Yeah. And I, uh, be taking cues from growing up here in New Jersey on a farm and being taken to Europe many times as a child, I thought that why not follow my dream to become a chef? 
cool. And I did. I got a job as a uh, as a dishwasher, as a pot scrubber, and I worked my way up the line, up the brigade. <laughs> I did the same thing. I started as a dishwasher when I was 14 years old. <laughs> yeah, well, I did this at 21. <laughs> cool. And believe yeah. it or not, after after working in the restaurant business for 10 years, I got so burnt out on it, I had to make a career change, yeah. and I worked as a... That's, uh, that's, that's what I did. That's I, what happened. I got so burned out. I worked as an audio post-production engineer for television. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, I, I really got... I, I was, you know, between all the the external activities that were going on in the restaurant business and the fact that... Yeah. I mean, it was 19... Let's see, I, I moved, moved out of Charleston to go to Johnston Wales. I met my future business partner. We founded the only manufacturing company of fresh pasta in South Carolina. It went gangbusters. Hmm. Really did very well. And uh, then in 1989, we had Hurricane Hugo, and we lost all the people we did business with and quietly Hmm. went out of business. Hmm. And that's what brought me into banking, and for 20 years, I worked in a bank. (laughs) It's funny, huh? You You just have to constantly be reinventing yourself, don't you? At this point of the game, Reinvention is a daily is a daily event. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. I mean, I I have to be able to show that I can that I'm tenacious, that I believe in reinvention, that I'm an entrepreneur, that I understand the the concept and the value of a of a of an elevator pitch, of using Twitter, mm-hmm. of using LinkedIn, of mm-hmm. using Facebook, mm-hmm. you know, all the different social media things that that you have an opportunity to become involved with, and the personalities that you become involved with with that. And just being uh, being able to be tenacious and, and to speak with a smile right. and to do what you love. I think all those things are really important. That, especially do what you love, isn't it? I mean, what's the Absolutely. point if you don't? <laughs> what's the well, point? But, but so many people that I have worked with over the years are stuck in, in corporate positions where they can't afford to leave. And they can't afford to do what they love, and it just burns them up inside. Yeah, and there, and it's I call it the soul suck, yeah, because it really is. It just sucks your soul right out of you, and you, you know, everything just becomes what you do until your next performance, you know, review. Right, right. And mine, and mine weren't so great. You know, <laughs> I, I was, I was not even a halfway decent executive assistant. And I guess the only reason why I succeeded so long that I did is the ability that I have to to speak to people right. who have a certain commonality with myself. And I'm also very adept at making it up as I go along. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to do that in banking because it's such such a you know even though everything is mired in regulation, there there's a lot of creativity in it as well. So you know at the upper net worth level, they're looking for someone who's well traveled and eats mm-hmm. well and knows how to speak about those things. Mm-hmm. And I was able to get reservations for my bosses at many places that they would have never been able to get into, mm-hmm. and that was valuable. Yeah. Until it wasn't valuable anymore, and that's when I reinvented myself yet again. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always tell people I think the restaurant business is a great training ground for any line of work or or for your life. You know, it, it teaches you oh, how to get along with people and how to uh, sure. You know, and eating and drinking is such a social activity. It's it's oh, it's great. It, it is, and and there are all different levels of the restaurant business, as evidenced by the international uh, food service and restaurant. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Very cool. Well, you know, as I remember so fondly when I was at Johnson & Wales, they said, this year we're training people for cruise ships and prisons. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what that's what they need right now. They need people to work in cruise ships and prisons. 
<laughs> you got to go where the jobs are, I guess. You got to go where the jobs are. And that's, that's when I said to myself, well, you know, I was accepted to California Culinary Academy. I was accepted to, uh, what's the, uh, the New England Culinary Academy. I was uh, also accepted to the Culinary Institute of America. Oh, and nice. they're telling me that, they're, that the only job placement I can get is on a cruise ship or in a prison. Yeah. I'm opening up my own business. <laughs> and, I, and I hear both of those lines are pretty, uh, neither one is much better than the other from what I hear. <laughs> Working on a cruise no, ship is not, no, not easy. Yeah, yeah, it's not easy work and you don't see daylight. Yeah. Like in a, you know, I worked out at the uh, Scottsdale Princess Hotel for a winter season. And, uh, and let me tell you, it, it was, you know, it was a grueling job. You didn't see the daylight at all. Yeah. You, you went in and you, and you were in a, in a kitchen and that was it. Yep. Oh, I know. Yeah. No windows. <laughs> no. Other assorted tales of woe. That's another name from your <laughs> another name of a cocktail. <laughs> Great name. Where do you come up with these names? <laughs> uh, because I'm creative, and I'm a creative writer, and I uh, I just uh, I enjoy what I do. I really I embrace life. I think that's the uh, the takeaway here. I really embrace life, and I, you know, I've been given a lot of breaks, and I never took advantage of them. I always took advantage of them. And this one is something that I created completely on my own. That's great. That's great. Well, I, I appreciate your time so much. and uh, It is my pleasure. Oh, my pleasure. Please, uh, Your um, website is the Cocktail Whisperer. That's your... Um, it's actually co- CocktailWhisperer.com. There's com. no the in front of it. It's ah. CocktailWhisperer.com. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Twitter? And I'm on Twitter. Uh-huh. What's the... Yeah, uh, that's... Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, Warren Bobro with the number one. Uh huh. And Facebook. Facebook is W Bobro. Okay. Facebook, or, or you could search search me by my name. I I think there's only one other out there, and he's he's a PhD or something. <laughs> Banker maybe. No. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe something <laughs> slimy like that. Yeah. And the and the new book comes out in spring, right? It comes out April first. Yes, I'm really excited about it. Uh huh. Bitters and shrubs. Bitters and Shrub Syrup Cocktails, yes, and I created 75 brand new recipes for, uh, for bitters and for shrubs and then cocktails that they go, in, go into. Well, that's, you know, that, that's fun. What, what kind of, that, what a life. You know, it's the life that I always wanted, and the only way that you can get something out of life is just to go out and do it. That's great. Warren, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And, uh, My pleasure. I hope we will share a cocktail soon in the near future. I look forward to it. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Be well. Well, that was a lot of fun. I did pick up some curry powder, and I'm enjoying Warren's rye and cider Mulgatani cocktail right now. It's really interesting. There's a little absinthe in it, which uh, goes really well with, you know, that's anise flavor or licorice. And uh, that actually goes really well with the apple cider somehow. It's very interesting. And then the curry is just totally out there. (laughs) Not something you normally would have in a drink, but it's delicious. So I like it. So uh, check out bartenderjourney.net, and I'll have a link up for uh, Warren's books. You can take a look at those, and uh, cheers. We'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>